Hey everyone, we're back. We're back for the part two of our discussion on anorexia slash restricting. A little bit of a different situation set up today. Uh, Stacy and I are in our living room with a lot of ambient noise potentially. And then Maddie is joining us via Zoom looking, by the way, camera ready, fabulous. Um, and so, you know, we, there's so much to kind of touch on and, uh, we had a little chat before and I'm the producer, the Terry Gross. And so I decided that out of all the many things that we want to touch on, I want to lead with the gender because I feel that it's a nice big broad umbrella that everything else is can really fit with. So Maddie, do you want us, and, and we're all gonna have a little bit of a different take on that. So uh, Maddie, are you comfortable with starting? Uh, sure. Hi everyone. Um, <laughs> Maddie, compulsive eater. I don't know if I should start with qualifying, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, we did come up with a lot of topics and we talked a little bit about um, trauma. And for me, that's kind of wrapped up in the gender experience. I think for me, um, uh, part of what comes up for me and i think i touched on this a little bit in previous podcasts is how um when i was so i identify as um trans um and when i was closeted um restricting was kind of um uh, it was definitely a way to disassociate um and part of what i was disassociating with from was like gender dysphoria um and i think again i think we went into this on some of the previous podcasts but um when I was a teenager, I was not out. I was not presenting as myself in feminine ways. Um, and, you know, my anorexia had started to become a problem, but I was told that it must be something else because it's not something that um, happens. <laughs> um uh to to guys to people presenting in masculine ways um and when i started to really confront the gender identity stuff um i went kind of back into that i had uh gained some weight i had built up some muscle just in the interest of trying to present in masculine ways. Um, and then I think the, it was hard for me to relate with that experience 
of um of gender and you know it, it, experiencing both sides of that like when i was presenting in masculine ways and i was restricting a lot it was usually like kind of looked down upon um but it was celebrated and encouraged um particularly when i was underway um after that experience what do you, can and you, you, can you expand on that how it was celebrated um it just like anywhere from uh just sort of general compliments um general sort of perceptions um you know i think um uh it they it, it, it always felt like there was pressure for me to not restrict um and then it was kind of like looked down upon um and then um when i started to present in more feminine ways what was looked down upon was like more like overeating being a larger person um and then part of my recovery around compulsive eating is recognizing that you know for my for my height for my build um uh the you know a healthy body weight for me is um more than i would have liked it to be when i was restricting um and you know so that all of that is personal to my experience but i think um i think that this is a pretty common experience with people who identify as women or present in um, feminine ways um and part of it is society but part of it is uh, I don't know, maybe it all can be traced to society and the pressures um, that it puts on people. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess that's kind of a start, a messy start, but I'd be interested in... Yeah. hearing what you Stacy and Nicole have to share about that I just want to you know again I'm going to pop it over to Stace but when you said that I had an image of um in San Francisco you know taking the bus uh, downtown and every it was the man spread you know what I mean so two seats and like men were trying to take up more space and the idea of women uh, expecting to take up less space. So those were some images around uh, the, you know, you get 
if you're male and you get bigger, there's support for that. But if you're female and you get bigger or like you said, presenting female, that's a no, no. Stacy, you want to anything? Yeah. I mean, there's so much, um, that Maddie, you make me think about, um, I mean, there's just the general concept of at least what I grew up with that men were supposed to control women and women could control their own bodies. And that was about it, you know, and maybe their own home, right? There was a lot of messages around that as far as like what women could control. Um, you know, the body is sort of a project for women, something they had power over when there wasn't a lot of other sources of power available. Um, yeah. And, and then it's almost, you know, the whole idea about like women being sort of power, being adjacent to the power of men and doing whatever things necessary to get some approximation of that power, even if they couldn't get it themselves, you know, if they're adjacent to a man with that power, then that's like kind of the best you could do. Um, yeah. And for me, I may have talked about this before as well. I don't remember, but yeah, there was a whole culture around that very specific kind of feminine body control. Um, it was, it came in, it showed up in a lot of different ways. I you know, grew up in, in dancing and in ballet in particular, you know, classical ballet, which is all about control <laughs> as beautiful as it is and ex expressive as it is, you know, there's so much control threaded through that tradition. Um, you know, down to this is like specifically the attire that you had to wear, even just in class, you know, not even a performance and, you know, specific point shoes that are quite painful. And you had to learn ways to manage that pain. And that was just part of the beauty that you were creating. Right. Um, so that's just one example where that's, you know, kind of like, okay, this is, this is my role to, you know, accept these certain kinds of pain in order to present something expected and beautiful. And again, going back to ballet, like there's a very specific feminine um, image within the ballet world of what that looks like. Um, so that was all at play. Um, yeah, another thing that comes to mind is just the, the, then the transition to womanhood, you know, and the messages about menstrual cycles and, you know, and just the natural body changes and needing to control those, you know, that that was something to be controlled. It was something to be ashamed of, um, not even really discussed, right? Like barely acknowledged, um, controlled to the point of silence. So, you know, it just goes along with the rest of that kind of culture, right? That women's bodies are primally messy and leaky and, you know, all of course these religious ideas tied to that sinful and dirty, right? I won't unpack the millennia of, <laughs> of meaning attached to it, but just that showing up, you know, in its own way, as far as like, oh, now you really need to control your body because it's doing some things that are just, again, primal and natural, but now your efforts need to be doubled to to really make sure that that those things 
um, are never visible, right? Or that your body, even though it's at a time where it's literally supposed to grow, right? To let it only grow so much, right? It's when that within a certain kind of um, certain boundaries, right? That were acceptable. Um, yeah, those are just a couple. I have many more examples I could yeah. think of, but that's kind of what initially came to mind, which is these ideas of feminine presenting control and things related to that. Yeah. If you're going to, yeah. you're going to stand over there, mm-hmm. you know, in the, they're all different feminine presenting female, whatever it is, women will mon, women, like if you're going to stand over here, then here is how you are supposed to stand there. Here's how you are supposed to be part of this group. So I think this is a good, you know, beginning because what I really, which I forgot, but what I really want to unpack. So we've, we've sort of talked about our environments, right? The environment of, you know, that reinforces the restricting or propels the restricting or the anorexia. And what I really would love to kind of dilate on if we can, if it's a sort of organic path, is that out of all the uh, eating disorder programs, Mm -hmm. ABA, which was started by an anorexic specifically, Step one is I am powerless over the need to control. Yeah. And that is when, like when Stacy and I read that, we're like, even my old sponsor was like, they get it. They get yeah. it. So uh, Maddie, you want to take that a little bit? Yeah, I'd love to respond on that. Um, you know, I think... I think that's the thing. Like, um, I uh, definitely resonated and agreed with a lot of what you were saying, Stacey. And um, I think that there is a certain sense of powerlessness in gender and the effects of... shall I say, patriarchy, um, that, uh, you know, there are so much about um, our bodies, those of us who present in feminine ways, but we can't control. Um, And a big thing of that is like how um, other people perceive us. Um, and, you know, in my experience with the gender identity, um, a lot of my life, like particularly as a teenager, I felt like I was never masculine enough. And there was just a lot of like, um, scorn and criticism. And then when I started presenting as myself, it was like overnight. I had uh, less power and more sort of um, a, you know, it just being with sort of like suggestive 
comments, people talking over me in meetings, like a lot of that sort of happened overnight um, for me. Um, things that are universal for a lot of people that are um, born into that gender presentation. Um, and so, yeah, like the control um and still like feeling like there's so much pressure to um to to fit in to um the, I love how you said Stacy like the body is a project like you know and then if that uh it's like a project with a moving target that uh, it is never done and there's always too much work to do um and so like that's something that i feel very powerless over um but the one thing that i do feel like i can control sometimes um is that sense of restricting um and you know like by the time i joined oa I would feel like I was doing a really good job if I would make it um, skipping a couple of meals, like, you know, two um, uh, or sometimes even more. I would, like, congratulate myself. I would feel like, oh, I'm doing a great job. Look at me. <laughs> you know so there was that sort of like feeling like i was conforming to that pressure but like really if i unpack that it was because um that often felt particularly um when it came to how i felt in my body that felt like the only thing i could control um and that's not just gender, that also is because of trauma. But um, yeah, I think that really resonates for me that restricting is very related to control. I also identify with bulimic tendencies and that felt more like everything was out of control which had a rush in a completely different way. Um, but restricting... Yeah, it's just like a really default response of doing the best I could to take my power back, if that makes sense. I, I just want to do a footnote here because we're like 20 minutes in. And so this is a footnote. I don't want mm -hmm. us to go down this. But um, I'm sitting here and I'm very aware that three European ancestors of, an of European ancestry are talking uh, middle class above. So the footnote is we that's who we are and we are speaking to our experience as belonging to that group. We all, because I know all of us, we're very aware that we do not speak for, you know, body expectation and people of color or body expectation of uh, 
any other class than ours. And, and to be honest, a little bit of the upper class. So that's our footnote. Stacy. The control. The powerless over the need to control. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I mean, that can show up in so many different ways. And for me, you know, when anorexia first emerged, like around adolescence, you know, around all these body changes um, and feeling powerless over those and knowing that those were dangerous, those were threatening my belonging in the family system I was in. And to your footnote, Nicole, in the specific white sort of middle-class, upper middle-class, you know, specific type of um, culture I was growing up in that yeah, for those who don't know, ballet is very expensive. So mm. it is very it's very much tied to the upper middle, upper classes. So mm -hmm. yeah, there was a lot of a lot of status around yes, all of those you. activities and things in my family. Mm. Um yeah, so first emerging then. And you, you know, of course I was not conscious of this, but reading reading the energy as we do as children. All right, regulating our nervous systems in relation to our families, whether we know it or not. So reading the room and seeing like, <laughs> oh shit, you know, if I don't control what's happening here, like, yeah, I literally don't have a place of belonging, or I can tell where the conditional love will end, right? There's a you know a, a sense of understanding that. I had no words for that, of course, at the time. Um, but that's what it was. It's like, here are the acceptable ways that you can appear within this family. So yeah, needing to control. So control as a, as a survival mechanism, um, you know, and then, and that's showing up in different ways over the years, but it first got established like with the anorexia and restriction, um, exercise bulimia, you know, all of that is forms, you know, different forms of control. Also seeing, you know, part of me was taking in like what I was powerless over controlling just with like the family dynamics that were dysfunctional. Um, and then again, well, what can I control? Not really anything, right? I'm basically still a kid. I can control this body here. So here's how I'm going to exert it. Yeah. Um, but needing to control something. Yes. Uh, really having that need come up and then it, you know, reappearing different forms of, um, the disease emerging over the years. And then, you know, now I know it's not a coincidence that anorexia came back after I had kids, like pretty soon, right after my second. And I knew I was done having kids. You know, this was in my, well, right around turning 40, you know, also like reaching a certain age, you know, stage of life. And then the pandemic comes along. Pandemic. So it was like perfect storm mm -hmm. of, so little control, yeah. so little control over, you know, young children. I'm talking about like babies and toddlers at that stage. Um, my body, as I see it aging, right. Realizing like, oh, this is a new form of powerlessness watching those changes. And then of course, I don't need to go into all the details of the pandemic. No one wants to really rehash all those at the moment, but all of us experiencing on many levels, um, new, I would say new levels of powerlessness that I think most of us right. had probably not even experienced before, even those of us who'd had, you know, other powerless experiences in our lives. 
So that just compounding. Um, I do want to say though, for our, for those of every area experienced something different, mm -hmm. but absolutely we were part of the global pandemic. We were part of the national Black Lives Matter, but then also we were part of this specific Oregon fires. Yes. Like, you know, not that there weren't, there could, I think also Texas had some great, like, but it was, that's why there was this like, you know, holy fuck. Um, before we get off this, I also want to circle back to the um, growing up in an environment that for me, you know, alcoholism was king and queen. And it's, it's interesting because I didn't have the anorexic experience or the restricting experience as a young person. I had the, oh, you want me to be thin and you want me to present as like this perfect middle-class, fuck you, I'm gonna mm -hmm. eat. I'm gonna take up more space. Now, part of that is also, again, the control. It looks different, but it is the same fucking thing where, and I had to unpack this later. And I've mentioned this in pr previous um, podcasts that, uh, Somewhere in there, I found out that my dad, who, you know, was, uh, he used to say, our family is a democracy and I'm the dictator. Like, it was definitely like, he had all the power. And he had an undercurrent of violence. Um, and so, and he weighed 185. Hmm. And that number became the number that I needed in to take up that much space mm -hmm. so that unlike my mom who was doing the power adjacent to my dad and you know was raised in a completely different time so she was raised to be um you know to stand you know two steps behind him you know that I was like I'm not doing that so if I'm not going to do what she's doing, then I need to be able to take up as much space as my dad is taking up. And again, this is all, you know, unconscious. It is still control. Okay. It is still, I am out of control. I feel out of control. What can I control? I don't get to pick what house we live in. I don't get to pick who my parents are. I don't get to pick what fucking school I go to. I, you know, if there's so little that I get to say anything about. And then for those of us who have forgotten, I don't know about you, but so much junior high, more junior high to high, high school is really when you learn about the world that we live in. And it's kind of like, who the fuck agreed to any of this? Like, and I, this is what I have to agree to. So again, just more and more feelings of how I have nothing, nothing that I can control except my own body. Mm -hmm. And I think that ties into not just eating disorders, but um, body modification, uh, the scarification, scar, you, you know, just all of that. It's like, this idea of like, this is my body, I can take charge of it. And 
at the same time, a sort of inverse of that, like, and I, I don't quite know, I know it's out there, hmm. which is like, because now I'm thinking upper class, which is like where such an intense conformity, way more anorexia up there where it's like, I don't even get to be in charge of my own body. So there's a paradox and a duality there. Am I making sense? Yeah. Okay. Do you want to speak to any that or not or none of it? <laughs> Maddie? Um, well, part of what comes up for me um, is uh I can definitely relate to a lot of what you were saying on your relationship with your father. And um, so I, I grew up um, uh, in most of my childhood, not uh, uh, sort of the end of it, it definitely a more male, male class, but um when I grew up, like my family was on government assistance. Um, and, um, my father really all of his life, um, had, uh, multiple untreated addictions, but the main, the main one was compulsive eating. Um, and so, you know, I remember, being really young and being like really embarrassed out in public of people judging me because of his size. Right. And that sort of experience. Um, and, uh, when I was a teenager, um, and anorexia started to pop up, it really did feel um and at that point um my parents had like re-entered the workforce and so it was like a different sort of experience and um I felt like that was I really did feel like that was me taking my um my power back and um also kind of like uh rebelling in a way um before i found restricting i was uh typically more on the heavier side but it fluctuated a lot uh we experienced some food insecurity and it just a, lo a lot of things around that um but um yeah uh i can definitely relate to the sense of taking control as a means of showing up for ourselves in an environment that feels chaotic and unsafe um and restricting 
Um, and we also touched on uh, self-harm. Um, that was another thing for me and kind of uh, a whole other topic. But like, you know, these were ways that I could show up for myself in an environment that always felt unsafe, if that makes sense. If we can, I'd really like to not leapfrog, but take this because there's so many different directions we could go. Mm -hmm. And what I would like to do is kind of now move to not just restricting as a form of control that, but with that, dissociating. Hmm. Stacy, you want to take that one? Uh, sure. Um, because that's another form of control, and I don't mm -hmm. hear in the anorexic podcast that I list, you know, eating disorder. Like I know from my personal experience, having just had restricting behavior, and then also having done a spiritual fast, legitimate spiritual fast that it, it, you do dissociate when your body, when you're starving your body and it can have an elevated experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, right. And the, so that makes me think of kind of what we were talking about earlier, being in unideal circumstances and part of this control, you know, it's finding control within chaos. It's also trying to escape a situation that we can't physically escape from, right? So if we talk about childhood where we don't have an alternative place to go, um, that I can still kind of physically escape my body, but still be, you know, technically, <laughs> technically present. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, and that being such a, again, sort of a, a subtle unconscious Process. That's a really good way to, because again, in that dissociation, a lot of that dissociation is dissociating from your emotional body. Yes. And so, you know, we even say, oh, you're sort of living in your head. Mm -hmm. And then there are schools of thought out there that's like, oh, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. Yes. You know, the whole reason versus, um, you emotion is called something else um reason versus passion mm -hmm. yeah oh well, i could i could talk for a long time on that point <laughs> but i'll just briefly say yeah the whole split you know in western culture a lot of it's tied to descartes and that whole school of thought you know i think therefore i am and this whole kind of separation between the mind and mind and the body and the body being associated with sinfulness you know primal aspects mm -hmm. and then the mind being this like elevated place you know that we um really should aspire to develop um so that's you know that's all an undercurrent right even if we've never heard of descartes or learned about that like that's in the water right exactly. we're all swimming in yeah. um so i just want to dilate so again, in the water, in the, in, in our environment is mm -hmm. the female presenting. So, mm -hmm. and then also Western civilization, mind over body. Mm -hmm. So, so many different messages that can support 
you know, that you're starving yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it can really fly under the radar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And with what I have been learning recently about somatic intelligence, you know, basically just the wisdom of the body, um, you know, the body communicates with us all the time and we'll get those messages if we're paying attention. But again, this is, I think, unconscious. The body's communicating things that are going to force us or prompt us to confront things that are so painful or that we feel so powerless to do something about, then that's another way that we might, you know, disconnect from those messages. Like those messages are not safe for me to hear. Thank you, body, for sharing, but we're going to cut off communication for right now. And where do we emotion we experience emotion feelings in the body so right. you know if you don't want to be feeling your feelings fucking fastest way out you know right is to numb yourself to numb the feeling you know so then you get narcotics and alcohol and whatever or just disassociate from the emotional body yeah. And along with that, so Nicole, you were talking about like the spiritual fast and the things that happen there. And, you know, this is what ACA calls the inner drugstore. Another way of mm -hmm. thinking about it. It's like you can get high by not ingesting any of what we think of as like psychoactive substances, mm -hmm. you know, just through restricting. There are certain ne neurochemical reactions, you know, physiological reactions that are part of disassociating that happen in your mind and body when you restrict or starve it of nutrients. So that's another piece, you know, I think about for me, again, it was unconscious in my adolescence, but part of what I was doing was running on adrenaline. And because that's also what I saw happening in my family system, like, oh, this is just what you do. You're just kind of running around on adrenaline all the time. That's kind of how you got your pleasure. Um, mm -hmm. In a lot of ways is that sort of high feeling from that kind of activity. That's also how you got your worth, right? Always be doing something. Yeah. As long as you're doing something, you're safe. Um, so that being also very much tied to safety, you know, activity equals safety. Um, and then with its, the reappearance of anorexia for me in adulthood, very much so, you know, in this postpartum state where there's a lot of different hormonal and neurochemical changes and using that as a way to change my state and try to feel different. You know, I wasn't, I'd been sober for a while, wasn't going to be ingesting any drugs or alcohol, you know, was nursing a baby, but it was like, well, I can still kind of get this cheap high this way, right. By drinking a bunch of caffeine and not eating very much. Let's see what happens there. Right. And that was also a way that, um, it's kind of numbing, numbing of pain, numbing of emotional pain, all the stress, and then again, back to the pandemic, once that came in, like continuing those behaviors and seeing how they were, they were a protecting factor at that point. So very much, you know, aware of the, the chemical changes, you know, when people, sometimes when people talk about eating disorders as process addictions, I don't want to go too far down this road, you know, where it's like the actual process of doing it, but it actually is a chemical addiction as well, yeah. whether we're ingesting sugar and getting high off that or, what, or we're not ingesting food and we're producing neurochemical changes that way. So I just want to acknowledge for those of us who know about sort of the process versus chemical addiction kind of definitions, 
in my experience, it is both. Yeah. That is. You haven't, we haven't, I haven't heard the beautiful sound of your voice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, it's, it's so much to unpack there. Um, uh, yes. Um, the, I'll, I'll start with that sort of like that somatic um, experience that high, you know, that we get, um, and that need to disassociate. Um, I definitely, um, so it was for me, um, it wasn't until like, early adulthood, late teens, that I discovered drugs and alcohol. Um, uh, but restricting before that definitely felt, it was a very similar experience. And then it went hand in hand because, you know, I wasn't spending my money on food. I was spending it on substances, right? So, uh that sort of, I, I love that term of that inner drugstore. And that's really what it felt like. And for me, like all of those experiences, um, for me, the substance addictions and the process addictions um, for me, and I agree that uh, compulsive eating is both. Um, for me, it was about the disassociation, the high, the effect of feeling different, um, feeling uncomfortable in my skin, feeling not enough, um, and compensating. Um, yeah, and... Um, there were a lot of circumstances as I was discovering myself um, and as my family was trying to um, uh, really doing the best they could to create a better life for us but like um pretending to fit in with a class that we didn't feel like we belonged with yet um just a lot of things in those teenage years that um uh I did just feel very powerless over and I just wanted to escape it I wanted to escape that feeling. Um, and restricting would definitely do that for me. And I had experiences that uh, you know, maybe there was a spiritual element to it, but it, it was like just sort of disassociating and um 
almost feel like I was time traveling or something because, you know, I would sort of black out even before I found substances, I would black out on and I might have disassociated in that way anyway, but um, restricting was definitely a really big part of that. Yeah. So I want to pause here because um, I think that we've done a lot of really good unpacking on the step one, you know, um, powerless over the need to control Mm -hmm. Um, all of the factors not all of them but all of a lot of the major more common factors that influence that or that even creates the need to control again i'm time checking and you both know that for for me these podcasts are for our tribe that's exactly what this is for Mm -hmm. Um, which our tribe being, you know, pretty much PDX, you know? So it's like, it reminds me of someone hearing, you know, oh, great. Yes, 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 yes. Now what do I do? And I, I, you know, the whole podcast is like, well, you go to a meeting. But I do think it is a little different when I'll speak for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, since this has come up for me, the restricting, as you guys know, I needed to create a separate thread with people who understood restricting, um, whether they were anorexic at one time or not. And I am actually... I'm actually in a place where I'm I'm trying to gain weight. That's not something I feel I can just say out loud. For, and it's not so much out of shame, but it's so much that it's the church of me too. You know, it's in a in a large meeting I don't know if you will hear my, my experience when I say I am trying to gain weight and failing like I don't want and I'm remembering a friend of mine I'm not gonna say her name she knows who she is you know she said like oh I used to be anorexic she was a normal body weight or something and someone said to her maybe she was even a little you know uh soft And someone laughed and said, well, you clearly recovered from that. And that was devastating comment for her because only anorexics know that even when you look a normal size, you feel like a failed anorexic, like no other anorexic would have laughed and said, well, clearly you recovered from anorexia. So I'm bringing that up as a way, like, I need a place where it's like, I can say, you know, my doctor told me this is the bottom line. I'm at the bottom line. I'm trying to get a little bit above the bottom line, just a couple of pounds, and it's not happening. And I know that I know how crazy that can sound to someone because there was a time in my life where it was like, 
I'm trying not to gain a couple of pounds every week. It's a completely different internal experience. Mm -hmm. And what it feels like for me is, and this is again, the step one, the powerless over control. What it feels like is this iron gauntlet, this mm -hmm. grip. And I am trying to negotiate with this grip. Just, can you just loosen the grip enough, just enough, just like mm -hmm. two pounds. And unless you understand that, then I know from my experience coming into the rooms and not having this issue at all, I would not understand how you could even have an issue with trying to gain. Like, I wouldn't even know how to hear it. I couldn't relate to it. So, you know, we're here together. They're out there. Like, there's yeah. in our community. And it's like, okay, we just completely unpacked. Step one is powerless over the need to control. So you guys want to comment on like, or just be like, all right, good luck, you guys. <laughs> Go, down. Uh, Go ahead, Maddie. I, uh, okay. <laughs> I can definitely respond to that. So like, you know, as far as bad, like, bottom line that we need to be above um in in 2020 because of the pandemic like basically coming out of lockdown um i had this intervention and this is really like what i trace my abstinence to not because of the intervention but because like you know i I surrendered. I was in a place to hear it. But, you know, basically it was being told that I was well below that bottom line. And I needed to gain weight fast, as quickly as possible, because I was having some pretty severe health problems as a result of that as a result of being too underweight. Um, and it was a bit of a weird experience for me because, you know, I would talk to my sponsor about it and then I would go to OA meetings. And I don't think I really shared about that. Mean that uh, Sometimes I would go to an A and B meeting. It was an OA meeting, but A and B focus. And I would... Uh, share about it there but that would be like the only place right but like i would just substitute in my brain as people were talking about you know we were all trying to get to a healthy body weight um and now i don't weigh myself so i don't know how much but um i i'm pretty confident i'm above that line and sometimes it feels like the pendulum has gone the other direction um but you know it's like hard because my anorexia is gonna tell me <laughs> that, that it's gone the other direction and, and go back you know it, but uh it was really challenging for me and one of the things that was most challenging is like uh prior to that moment when I looked at myself in the mirror, 
I was the most happy with my body image that I'd been in my entire life. At wow. my lowest weight, I thought I was the, you know, I actually really appreciated it. And so now it's this experience like, um, all I see is the weight when I look in the mirror. Um, but when I devote time to my spiritual practice, um, you know, I have a lot of gratitude that I was able to, to turn that around, um, before more serious health consequences, um, came about, but it, I would say gaining weight, especially in those early days for me, um, for me, that was harder than getting sober. Um, than detoxing off substances, um, because my brain just really wanted to tell me that I was taking bad advice and, <laughs> and doing the opposite of what I needed to do. <laughs> Stacey, you want to comment on that? Uh, amen. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> um, you know, where to begin? That's really, yeah, where I am in my journey is in like sort of the place of healthy maintenance. Uh, to put a little context to that, you know, I think the sort of return of anorexia had been going, I'd say for about two years. Um, when but it didn't physically present until, because you have the, <clears throat> the um, pregnancy weight. Right. So yeah, when I, now when I look at the timeline and how I understand it, this was like roughly 2019 and Nicole had said something to me about that, like, I think at the end of 2019 and then was still, you know, we'd been talking about it and Nicole had been weighing me without me knowing my weight and kind of letting me know where I was. So working on it, but still a lot of really struggling with like, I'm not willing to, I'm kind of making some changes, but I'm really not willing to make any more changes. So doing that for a while, trying to just stay out of like red, quote unquote, sort of red zone, right. With my weight. But when I look at it now, like still a lot of restriction happening at the fall of 2021, I had been having some health issues. And when I went to see the doctor related to those, they looked up like, you know, weight history. They showed the little graph of like what it had looked like. I think since the last, my last few visits over the last couple of years. And the doctor said, I see the steady weight decline. If this continues, like, this is going to be a real problem. Like your weight should not go any lower. So Nicole and I had talked and we're, it was, you know, one of those weird validating experiences that like a medical professional validated what we, Nicole and I had been working on. Um, so I'm adding in that piece to then put some context to further health problems, restriction continuing partially because of the health problems. I won't go into all the details right now. That could be a whole separate podcast on its own. Um, but seeing that learning over the past, it's been over a year now, that the root of these health problems was basically nervous system dysregulation, which I can trace back to my childhood, which goes back to what we were talking about with, you know, finding ways to have control and 
our different coping mechanisms. And so what it's really looked like for me over this last year or more recent time is like to recover from these health issues and to recover my entire nervous system, which regulates all the other systems in your body. Along with that is the recovery from restriction and anorexia. Like all those things have to go together. I, I started to develop a deep understanding that I would not be able to recover from this nervous system dysregulation if I did not address the restriction at the same time. And they're both, it's hard to say. I mean, I now know that like, I think the nervous system dysregulation came first and restriction came out of that for me and my adolescence. Um, and it's hard to say now of like how much one you know, influences the other um, because my appetite has changed as my nervous system has become more balanced. I can tell I have a healthier appetite I'm not in that, you know, fight or flight state where like, I just literally wouldn't have an appetite much of the time. And have you to, like, don't when have you're forced myself flight, yeah. to eat. Yeah. Yeah. And more of the time now I'm like, oh, I, I want to eat. I have an appetite and I actually want to eat more than what I was eating before. Um, I'll give an example. Last night, my husband and I went to a restaurant and I had, it was a, a healthy sized plate of food. I was more full than I've had usually been used to being like, you know, if I think of over the past little while, but there was a part of me that's like, this is a healthy way to feel full. Like I'm still sort of relearning, recalibrating those things right now. And I do have to admit after that meal, I went on a fairly long walk because <laughs> there was that part of me, the control part was like, I don't know about this. You're feeling like kind of more full than what we're used to. So it's like, right. This dance and, oh, yeah. and I'm trusting because my, it comes down to my health and my entire life that I have to keep healing my nervous system. So I am willing to address restriction in a deeper way than I think I ever have. And Maddie, mm -hmm. I, when you said like it was harder than coming off of or withdrawing from drugs and alcohol, I forget how you said it. Amen to that because mm -hmm. this neurology was laid down much earlier than any drugs or alcohol for me from in my childhood. So I am getting down to the deepest grooves, right? The deepest patterns, the cellular, the cellular level of change in the bones, change in the bones. Yeah. I want to, as a, you know, not epilogue, but like closing chapter that Again, I I can speak for me, but, you know, if I want to really work my 12-step recovery spiritually-based program, I know that the answer is not trying to fix step one. That is not the answer. And that's why I love Hani so much. Uh, because she says it so directly, cleanly, and distinctly. She says, don't look over here. Hmm. What the problem is, look over here. For me, it's, you know, I, I if I focus on my, my higher power, which for me is the rooms, everyone in the rooms, my service, my friendships, everything, I focus over here and then I just have to pray and hope 
that that iron fisted gauntlet will loosen and loosen and loosen. And then fortunately for me, having decades now, is I have the faith of, well, it worked on everything fucking else. So, you know, I know like, okay, I, here we go. Like when you said, Maddie, like now you're on the, I was like, oh yeah, we just switched seats on the bus. You know, because I promise you, I never thought this would be my fucking problem, you know, and it is. Um, But I know the solution is the same. And for me, in 12 step, which is why I do the 12 step is once I've identified what the problem is, that's it. Like, that's the end of the problem. Now the focus is on my hope, my faith in a power greater than myself, and then doing whatever the fuck I need to do to make it so that I can connect to that power. That's what all of those step work tools assignment is, is so that the connection between me and the power that I believe in gets stronger and bigger. And then I just let go, you know what I mean? I just, I'm like, all right, well, I think the more I'm connected to my higher power, the more safe I feel in my body, the more willing I am to be, have experienced emotions in my body, the more able I am for connection and vulnerability and also, and then the need and the drive for control will just dissipate. It will not go away. You know, it's kind of like leaves or weeds in your garden. You got to keep up on it. You don't get to walk away and be like, okay, no more weeds. It does take, so, but that's the same with relationships. You can't, you know, spend a year with me, be my best friend and then be like, okay, we're best friends now and then leave and I never hear from you again. Mm-hmm. You know, it is a relationship to the higher power. I love that. Um, you know, and I think what comes up for me there is, uh, I mentioned that moment of surrender when I really started to to work on my anorexia and gaining weight, and it was really hard. But part of what got me through that was also working a third step, because the first step was finally really obvious. <laughs> and so was the second step because, you know, like just the insanity of um, going to meetings and feeling like I was working on myself, but uh, getting to this really unhealthy low body weight. Um Anyway, it was that moment of turning it over to higher power. Um, And really, I have a completely different relationship with higher power than I had before that. Um, And I think that's one of the things that, like, we talk about sometimes in OA meetings that, like, abstinence is a... uh, Uh, like a prerequisite to our spiritual practice sometimes. Um, 
So, yeah, I think just kind of like what comes up for me is a general letting go. Like it's still it's one day at a time and it's not always easy. Um, but it's easier than it was when I was exerting so much control over my life through the restricting. Space. Yeah, I want to also add my voice to the connection to higher power, whatever that looks like. You know, there are many elements of that for me through people, nature, just this general feeling of love that I connect to. As I actively do that very deliberately, there's been a certain like a new level of depth to this, to the intentional way that I've been doing this. I feel those protective parts. That's where the control is, you know, and again, back to the nervous system, parts of the nervous system, they're just trying to adapt and protect us. They're like, Oh, you're in danger. Let me do this to help you. Right. And it's the same way that the control comes up and all the impulse to restrict, they, they start to loosen. Right. I feel, I feel them, them shifting. So they're like, Oh, Oh yeah. You're connected to this love. Like you're safe. So that's, that's a really big piece of it. Just that active, you know, for me, it's like step 11, like working step 11, like I've never worked it before. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I just want to add a few practical things for people who can really relate to what we've been talking about. And so this is also the like sort of opposite action, right. That can look like a lot of different things in program. Um, but really committing to that. Um, so like, I'll say right now, perfect transparency using the bathroom at Nicole's house before we came on here, I started to check out my body in the mirror a little bit. I even lifted up my shirt and was like, how's my stomach looking right now? And then I was like, nope, we don't need to do that. And I could have kept, there was a part of me that wanted to do it for a little bit longer and just to lovingly redirect and say, okay, sweetie, your body's just the way it needs to be today. Like really using that intentional language, you know, very consciously, loving intentional yeah love and just be like accepting that like yes we're doing that you know to not be punishing to be like what are you doing but like oh sweetie yep I see you doing that and I see you're trying to protect me we're not going to do that anymore this this body can just be the way she is today so that's one thing that can come up in you know a thousand times in a day doing something similar to that or even having any kind of critical thought about my body and just going okay, I, again, I hear you're trying to protect me because this was your way to keep me safe. Because if there was enough criticism, there'd be enough control. Other people would not judge you, right? You'd be safe in all these different circumstances. And just saying, we don't need that anymore. You're, you are loved exactly as you are. And I love you exactly as you are, even whatever critical voice that's coming up. So a lot of that type of kind of self-talk and you know loving redirection and yeah, I'll share a couple victories that I've also learned from people in the rooms. I had a few pairs of jeans. I had gotten them tailored when I was at one of my lowest weights because I was losing all this weight because of being in fight or flight. And then it was sort of like, well, now you need to continue to fit into these jeans, even though I, you know, I knew it was from an unhealthy period that I'd gotten them adjusted. And there was a point where I just said, I feel imprisoned by these jeans. I don't Shout out to Glennon Doyle. I know, this is all Glennon Doyle. Thank you, Glennon. She and I have had <laughs> parallel journeys, by the way, if you want to listen to any of her podcasts. <laughs> I'm like, 
somehow Glennon and I are walking the same path right now. So yeah, just saying like, I can get rid of these jeans. Like, and that was a big move for me. It took, that took a lot. Um, there was a lot of thinking around it before I actually did it and buying some new jeans that fit me right now. Um, so those of you, again, it's one of those, it's like, is that really a big deal? But if it's you've been there, deal. you know what a big deal that is. Um, and then along with that, also asking to not be weighed when I go to the doctor anymore. Yep. And I remember hearing about that when I came into the rooms and was just like, and I would weigh myself too. I kind of always wanted to have some idea after going through a period where Nicole was weighing me. And then I just decided there's no way that knowing that number is going to be helpful really in any sense. And that was the next step. And this has taken me years in program to be able to say, you know, when I come in, you know what? I actually don't need my weight check today. And I've been shocked by the response every time it's been, Oh, okay, sure. And because I'm never, <laughs> there, I'm never there for any reason that's like connected to my weight, you know, these last few visits. So it's sort of like, why do you need to take my weight? You actually don't. And, <laughs> you know, so that's been another very empowering thing for me. And I've had to do it on a few different visits for, for various things and just doing it every time. And if I thought it would be printed out on the aftercare summary, if they print it out and give it to me, I just toss it in the trash before I can even look at it and leaving it there. So like, these are the choices we get to make about ourselves and our bodies. And it's all part of like the new paradigm. That's how I think of it. Any um, closing thoughts from you, Maddie? Uh yeah, it's so much. I think that we could uh we could talk about this for hours, but um I just love um how you wrap that up, Stacy, that um it's about this new paradigm that we allow ourselves to live. Um you know, the version of myself that I am today sometimes feels imperfect and it feels like I still have a lot of work to do. Um, and I'm sure I do. Um, but like the version of myself doesn't need to live in that fear and that, uh, sense of control. Um, is yeah, I think in the number on the scale is a good sort of uh it it's almost like a metaphor in the sense that like that was a number that I would um always um punish myself with. You know, I was always a failure. If the number was too big or it was too small, I'd figure out a way that I was a failure. <laughs> um, and or if it seemed just right, then I would like, you know, get obsessive about trying to maintain it. <laughs> so it was it was never a helpful number. It's almost um, like it this dial that was like, are you worthy? Do you deserve you know, and then you get on and it's like, oh, am I worthy? Am I worthy? Yeah. Am I worthy? Do I deserve love today? And it literally, like, if you can just hold that, that sort of analogy in your mind of like, 
stepping on a scale and instead of you know a number measuring like gravity and it's like how much are you worth today and that that's so i mean words fail like and that's why recovery is so much like if that is the relationship you are having to a scale then stop getting on the scale mm-hmm. yeah and we you're talking to three people who know that is not easy like mm-hmm. i'm not saying like oh just you know just stop i'm just mm-hmm. saying like wow that is way too much power yeah Okay, for closing thoughts, I do want to add one more pitch. But before I do, any final things you want to throw in? I could add a really powerful quote. I like it. I just heard. And I'm not going to remember it exactly. Um, And I think it's credited to Audre Lorde, um, the Black lesbian activist. Um, and it goes something along the lines of, I'm going to add my own little piece in relation to this discussion too. So the white colonist says, I think, therefore I am. And I could also add to that, like the anorexic says I'm thin, therefore I am worthy. And then here's the powerful piece. The black woman says, I feel, therefore I am free. I love that there. I love that. And I, yes, you can't, I cannot feel if I am not in my emotional body. And for me as a woman who has dissociated from her body and also found it safest to live from the neck up, no matter what mechanism I use, to come to a place where I can be in my emotional body, which requires also creating a life for myself where that is possible to be in my emotional body. I absolutely agree. I feel therefore I am free. Anything you want to add before I do my last pitch? My closing pitch. I'll just say um, at that point when I was trying to gain weight because, you know, it was medically advised um, and it felt like the hardest thing in the world, I did something that felt totally ridiculous. And I can't remember if it came from my sponsor or healthcare professional, but um, I just put up the words on my mirror. I am enough. Yes. And I needed to see that every day as a mantra. (laughs) That is perfect because that was going to be my final pitch. So again, you know, wrapping up this wonderful, I love talking with you guys. I love this topic. Well, you know, I nerd out on pretty much anything. But what I really want to make sure that we end with is that uh, first of all, thank you so much for listening. Uh, We hope that in sharing our experience, you have a feeling of the church of me too. What I wanna make sure that 
is said explicitly is that whatever size your body is, whatever, however you're relating to food right now, whatever judgment you may have on overeating, undereating, whatever judgment you may have on your body, I want to assure you that that has nothing to do with how loved and valuable you are. And the image that comes to my mind is, you know, as a sponsor of many people, there is nothing that they do or don't do or size that they weigh or don't weigh or age or state, whatever, that in any way makes me say to them, okay, well, you can't come over. Like, yeah. or you can't, nothing, absolutely nothing. <laughs> and I want to make sure that we add that. And that, that includes any way that you are defining your abstinence. Yeah. Your abstinence could be that you abstain from self-loathing, which is mm -hmm. my new abstinence, um, to the best of your ability. Your abstinence could be that you, you never leave program. I mean, it doesn't, you don't even have to use the tool of abstinence. Like there are other programs that don't even use it. But again, there is nothing that would make me, if any one of the people that I love, not just my sponsees, my friends, anyway, knock on my door and then have me not open it with love and gratitude and just pure joy that you are here. And I just want to make sure that you that to the best of my ability, you you can the people listening can hear that. And I think that's an important part of recovery is to get to that place. Oh, so well said. All right. Thank you so much. I'm gonna <laughs>